as our kids head to Children's Church, um, I want to ask you, when you see that invitation um, from Kevin, planting a church among an unreached people group um, in a country that is 6,000 miles away with a predominant um, Muslim belief system speaking a language that we do not speak proficiently and now the possibility of, of opening a school I think the question is why would we do that? Why would we do that? But in our study, we have found our answer. Our answer Jesus gave us a long time ago, Acts chapter 1 in verse 8. This is how it reads, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That is the mission statement that Jesus gave his followers. It is the mission statement that Jesus gave all his followers. And we are starting to understand this, it isn't what we work into our life. This is supposed to be our life. And so think about this particular opportunity, right? The opportunity for, for Muslim kids in a place where there is no school to be able to go to school where they are loved and they are taught by Christian teachers. What an opportunity. I, I'm going to admit to you that over the years, um, I have heard um, every once in a while this kind of a statement. Jeff, I, I just don't know... I just don't think we should be going there. I just don't think we should be spending money there when there are plenty of needs here. And I'm going to say to you, when, when I think of conventional wisdom, I, I would agree with you. I would agree with you. You and I have the freedom to express what we think we should do. But the truth is, neither of our thoughts, apart from what Jesus thinks, carries any more weight than the breath that we use to express those thoughts. What matters is what Jesus thinks. And when our thoughts are linked to his thoughts, that's when our thoughts begin to have eternal weight Apparently, when I read the mission statement, Jesus thinks there are people he loves here and people he loves there. And he makes it clear that we are supposed to be about both at home and to the ends of the earth. So here's where this comes into play today, right? Some of, some of us maybe are wandering in life. Um, maybe some of us today wonder even why we're just here. And when I say here, I don't mean in the building today. I mean why we exist. And I want us to understand that Jesus has given us the answer. He's given us the picture of what our lives really are to be about. And, and today, I'm just giving you an image 
it, it, for me, it's, it's a framework. It's a framework. And, and this particular frame is made out of plastic, right? It's pretty high, pretty expensive, just, just good old black plastic. It could be made out of wood. It, it could be made out of metal. I mean, the frame could be made out of whatever. And I want you to understand that the same thing is true of your life. The framework, it, it could be whatever your career is, whatever school that you go to, whatever neighborhood you live in, the frame can be different for all of us, but the picture of what our lives are to be about, it was settled by Jesus a long time ago. We know the answer. There is no plan B. This is what we were made for. So I want to say welcome. Welcome to Heart of Life, all right? Where this is we, what we want our lives to be about. I, I, I truly am grateful that you would join with us today, whether uh, you're here in this room or whether you're joining us from, from any location today. Thanks for taking the time to join in. And I also want to extend an invitation for you to join us this afternoon. Because we're praying that the, that the rain stays away. We got a party planned that I want you to be a part of, all right? There are burgers and dogs and ice cream and funnel cakes. Am I doing okay? You want to be a part of this, I'm telling you. There are water slides, games to play, fireworks, and baptisms, it's going to be a great party this afternoon. You can find the info on the, on the website if you're, if you're joining us online. If you're within proximity, I want to encourage you to come be a part. If it doesn't rain, the weather should be great. So much so that if you choose to whine about it being too cool in July, you just need to go ahead and sign up for baptism because you need a transformation of your heart to be more grateful, all right? Just sign up for baptism. I'm just kidding, sort of, all right? I hope to see you there. Here's what we're learning in Acts. Jesus said, Holy Spirit's gonna come, and guess what? He did. Holy Spirit shows up, the church is born, the first day, 3,000 people believe and they receive the Spirit and they begin to live the mission. This mission starts in Jerusalem and then it moves outward, just like we read in the mission statement, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. You will see when you study Acts, it's like Luke just makes bigger circles and bigger as the mission goes out, just like he described. Today, our story is still in Jerusalem. And I want you to see some things experienced by the church in Jerusalem that are true for any church in any location in any generation. And my prayer today, my hope today, is that this will cause you to boldly trust Jesus. Because what you're up against as a Jesus follower is something that the church has always dealt with from the beginning. So remember the story, Peter and John, on their way to the temple, as they exit the interstate, they come to the stop sign. There's a 40-year-old crippled man with his sign, right? And he's asking them for money. Peter says, oh man, we, we didn't bring any cash. But what we have, we give to you in the name of Jesus. Get up, 
The man gets up. Not only does he stand up, it says he's leaping, he's praising God. A crowd gathers, and Peter and John do what they were made to do. They begin to witness about what they know of Jesus. What's the result? Whole city celebrates. All the local TV stations are vying for interviews. Everybody's sharing wonderful things about Peter and John on social media. Well, not all. Not exactly. Acts chapter 4, look at verse 1. Here's what it says. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now, how many the first day? 3,000, and now we're at 5,000, and it does say men, so we know there were women who also believed. We, I don't know what the total number is, but this scenario, I mean, it would be like today, officers arrive, and they cuff me, and as they are dragging me off stage, I offer the invitation, come forward if you want some of this. Who would, who would, who would do that? I'm saying on this day, the Holy Spirit was so powerful that 2,000 at least did that. I want you to see what has always been true for the church. It has always been true that wherever, wherever the good news of Jesus is faithfully communicated, some will receive and celebrate but some will reject and seek to destroy. Now, we are just days into the birth of the church, right? This is how it has always been. Wherever the good news of Jesus is communicated, this is what Jesus has told us our life mission is to be about. What can we expect? We can always expect that some are going to receive and they're going to celebrate, and some are going to reject and seek to destroy. Remember the message that we've heard Peter preach twice. Like, how does God, how does this work, right? God shows up where we are. Remember the story? God shows up where we are. He shows up in our brokenness. He shows up in our, our, our sinfulness. We don't clean ourselves up to get to God. God comes to us and he forgives our sin. But in doing so, he tells us. He always tells us the truth about ourselves. And that's great news, we said last week. Finally, somebody I can trust. Because maybe it's my addiction, or it's my depression, or it's I'm angry or anxious, or, or, or right, destroying relationships. But the point is, God knows that. He's not telling me that I have it all together. I couldn't follow that God because I know I don't have it all together. He tells me the truth about me. 
And then he offers me pardon, forgiveness. Not because I'm innocent, but because my crimes are paid for by Jesus. And that demands a response. And the response is, I need him. I need him. Remember early on in Jesus' ministry when he preached the message message of, of blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Blessed are those who mourn, right? So when your soul feels bankrupt, that's when blessing comes. When, when, when you go through persecution, you, you will be blessed. It's like, does that sound like a good way to build a big church? Yes. Because in those moments, we are blessed because the point is we run to Jesus. We ought to be encouraged by what we're reading here When you share the good news of Jesus, there are going to be some who receive it and they're going to celebrate, but not everybody. Because some are going to be offended. And I don't mean they're just going to be offended because they they come to know our moral positions on things, right? There are certain things we believe when we read the Bible about sexuality, about marriage, about gender. But I'm saying here, people are offended by Jesus himself. And it's all got to do with the throne of our heart. Now, when I think of a throne chair, I think of something like this. It's it's big. It's big, it's ugly, it looks uncomfortable, right? Almost every throne chair I've ever seen looks that way. It's like, why wouldn't you pick some big, comfy recliner? You know what I'm saying? If you're, like, if you're the king, pick something that's comfortable. You know what I'm saying? But this is what the throne always looks like. But when you see a throne chair, what does it represent? It represents whoever's in charge. It represents whoever has the authority. And you realize that when Jesus shows up where we are, He's confronting us, saying, you don't belong in the throne chair of your life. He's saying he does. Why? Oh, there's this little thing of he made us. (laughs) There's this little thing that he died for us and rose again to, to buy us back. And he's saying he is the one who belongs in that seat. It is a confrontation, right? A question of like, how have we done at playing God? Like, how have I done at being the one calling the shots? That's what's at play here. So look what happens. We're going to skip to verse 15. Acts chapter 4, verse 15. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and then they conferred together. Now, the Sanhedrin are those religious leaders, them as Peter and John. What are we going to do with these men? They asked, everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his, Jesus' name. Sometimes the way we think is, man, if we could just see more miracles, if we could just see more miracles, then more people would believe. And don't get me wrong, I'm not against more miracles. 
Sometimes we don't see those because we're not asking. But here is a story where the miracle happens. It is so crystal clear, nobody's debating whether or not this has happened. The man is walking, but what is their response? But we don't want any more. We don't want to see any more. The evidence is clear, but we don't want to believe. And I'm telling you that there is something beneath all of this. What it's about, I like being God. I like sitting on the throne of my life. And even if a miracle is in play here, if I turn to Jesus, then he may take me to a place that I don't want to go. It's the same thing that they used to do to Jesus when he was, right, ministry on the earth. You remember the religious leaders would come to him and they would ask him a question that they thought would what? Trip him. They thought it would stump him. They would ask him a question. Jesus would come back with an answer, right? Sometimes it was more questions, and I'm reminding you that when you're God, you don't lose a lot of arguments. He didn't lose any. But isn't it wild that their response was not, whoa, what a good answer. Maybe he is God. Their answer, their reply was always, let's retreat, get together, and see if we can come up with another tricky question. It's the same pattern. Even though the evidence was there. Let's keep reading. I I, I want us to realize a part of the culture that you face is people saying, let me find reasons not to believe. Okay. But that does not Stop what we're supposed to be about. Let's keep reading. Verse 18. Verse 18. Then they called the men again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help Speaking, I love that line. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now, come on, Peter's had this test before. Remember, before when the pressure was on in Peter's life, Jesus about to be crucified, what does Peter do? He denies. But now he's been forgiven, right? And now he's been empowered. The Holy Spirit has filled Peter's life and now Peter is bold. I'm hoping that by the end of this story, you will believe me. The greatest evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence in a person's life, it is boldness. It's boldness. Verse 21. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. It's like, why did he put that in there? Well, I think there's something to a 40-year-old. I mean, it may be in part that they've seen this man for a long time. The picture seems to be he could have been crippled for a long time. But also the age of 40 um, in, in Hebrew life, there's, there's not just an adulthood here, but almost, of, almost of, a, of an elder. He's an older 
He's considered older, elder. Um, he carries some credibility. How crazy is it that a real miracle has happened? A 40-year-old man who could not walk, now he can walk. In fact, he can jump, and he's praising God. It's so clear that the leaders realize that if they punish Peter and John for this, all the crowd's going to see this as unfair. It has always been the environment that the church faces. When you share the good news, sometimes people will receive forgiveness. They will receive the pardon and they will celebrate. But some will reject because they are offended. And they, in turn, will seek to marginalize, to mock, to persecute, and even destroy those who embrace the pardon. And so we arrive at a place of tension, a place of tension still for you and me. This is it. The desire to have people like you. (laughs) The desire to have people like me. Now let's be honest. We want people to like us. And I want to make sure you understand that's not a bad thing in and of itself. If you are one of those people who say, I don't really care if people like me, we probably don't like you. Right? I mean, somebody's attitude who's that way, and they probably treat people in that, in that regard, we probably don't like them. I'm saying it's okay to be liked. Like, it's okay to be kind and people like you. The point here is unless... Unless that desire to be liked makes you sell out when it comes to Jesus. Makes you not stand on the truth of who Jesus is. Makes you silent. Or maybe just makes you start, you know, believing that you got to give Jesus a makeover. Because you got to make him more palatable so that people can, can swallow this truth of who he is. Those are the moments that you know you care more about pleasing people than pleasing God. Check out Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs chapter 29, a long time ago, verse 25. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. The, 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 the writer of the Proverbs, he's, he's wise and he says, it's a trap. If you're living for people's approval, it's a trap. You will always be a slave to their approval. I once heard this quote, if you live for people's acceptance, then you will die from their rejection. It's true. It's kind of like being afraid of this. When that picture came on the screen, I saw people start to shake, right? (laughs) It's kind of like being afraid of this, but not being afraid of this. And if you tell me you're not afraid of that, most people go, that's kind of foolish. That's kind of foolish. You you understand, that's, that's the picture of Right, being afraid of people, right? Pleasing people versus pleasing God. 
So let's get practical. The parents who sit in the stands with you at your children's ball games. When their acceptance of you becomes more important to you than you being willing to share the life-changing message of Jesus, then it reveals who your God really is that you choose to please people more than him. See what I'm saying? And come on, how about family members? Some of you have family members that you know they don't know Jesus. But you are so hesitant to share the good news of Jesus because you don't want to ruffle any feathers, it will make Thanksgiving really weird. It reveals who our God really is if we will choose to please people more than God. And I'm saying it applies to teammates, it applies to coworkers, it applies to neighbors. Who do we seek to please? I'm just reminding you today that you're not going to be able to please everyone around you because it has been the case from day one for Jesus followers that some are going to receive and they're going to celebrate. There are going to be others that reject. John records a story um, in his gospel. Uh, It couldn't be more on point, so I'm just taking a minute to read it to you. John chapter 12, verse 42 John said, yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him, that him is Jesus in this context, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. You ready? For they loved human praise more than praise from God. It's always been a battle, hadn't it? They wanted to believe, but they didn't want anybody to know that they believe because they might not get invited. They they might not be invited, right, to to the synagogue anymore. There might be some social consequences here. Come on, how much does this apply to our day? You and I, we find ourselves in a culture that if you disagree these days, it means you hate somebody, right? And so you, are, you filter that all the time. You, you, you feel that all the time. What results is sometimes this, this pressure to soften what you believe. Or maybe to believe, but just to keep it to yourself. And at times, maybe to, to disassociate from, from Jesus and even his people in order to keep the peace. And I'm saying, don't be willing to live your life with middle school ethics. Remember middle school? It's like today you're with this group because it's the cool place to be and it'll get you invited to the right spot and then tomorrow you're with this group because it's the cool place to be. Man, don't follow Jesus that way. Don't follow Jesus that way. This is what the church experienced. The question is, how do they operate in that culture? How do we operate in that culture? Well, Peter and John are threatened. They released. And then guess what the church does? They pray. 
they pray. Listen to what this, listen to this prayer. Verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and wipe them out. Lord, consider their threats and take them out. No. Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So, do they ask for miracles? Yes, they do. But I love the fact, first, they ask for boldness. God, will you enable us to speak your word boldly and then whatever you're going to choose to do out of that. God, if you do some miracles out of that, that's what we're asking for. They'll, they'll know, God, that it's you. But they ask for boldness. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were, check this line, all, there's our word, all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, wait a minute. Filled with the Spirit? I thought they were already filled with the Spirit. Scripture teaches us this language of continually being filled with the Spirit. But listen to me. It's not because the Holy Spirit has run out. It's not because... You've lost him. What we learn from scripture is that when, when you turn to Jesus and Jesus comes to indwell you, he gives you all of himself. But as I continue to lean into him, by leaning into him, it means I'm living life listening. I'm living life yielding to him. I'm, I'm consistently, moment by moment, going, Spirit, I want to recognize your direction, your power. What do you desire? As you speak, help. As you lean into him, your boldness increases as he continues to fill you with such boldness. Notice what they do. Here's what they do. They pray for boldness and then they graciously walk in boldness. Like what do we do in a culture where we feel such tension and we feel such pressure? Here's what they do. They pray for boldness and then they graciously walk in that boldness. I'm reminding you that boldness does not mean cruel. Boldness does not mean be a jerk. Boldness means I will continue to lay down my life for the opportunity to share the good news. What's the good news? That Jesus died for sin, that he was buried, and on the third day he arose. And for all who have a change of mind, that's repentance, a change of mind as to who Jesus is and, and what he has really come to do when we entrust our life to him. He forgives me, he indwells me, he comes to live in me, and he empowers me. And then Jesus says, I want the whole world to know. Now, a quick note here. There is so much more to this conversation about boldness particularly in the current condition of our culture that I want to talk about. And I, I, I feel a little bit like I'm bailing on you today, because but, but that conversation is so much bigger than what, what we can do in this time together today that I, I just want to promise you, because some of you feel this pressure, 
Some of you are trying to figure out how to navigate this. I'm not bailing on you. This is just to be continued. And we will talk more about this boldness. But we are going to have plenty to help us if we just finish where the text finishes today. As these first believers pray for boldness and they live in it, what is the result? The result is a counter-cultural life. It is a counter, what I mean by that, everybody's swimming this way. They suddenly look like they are swimming a different direction. They look different because of the Holy Spirit's presence in their life and the boldness that results from it. Well, what does this boldness look like? What does this countercultural look like? Check it out, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they, everybody say shared. They shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to, say testify, to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. I want us to just leave that there for a minute. I want us to see those two words. When we talk about they are empowered by the Spirit, they they suddenly look different than the rest of the world around them. What did that involve? Well, a part of it was their sharing. They shared everything. They shared their money. They shared Their time, they shared their life. And I want us to understand it is a part of what happens when the Spirit of God, do we get that? The Spirit of God himself indwells a person. What is the result in that? You start to take shape, your heart being shaped, your life being shaped to look like who? Like him. He's the one in charge. He's the one empowering. He's the one giving boldness. Well, what's going to be the result? It begins to look like him. You know, the God who so loved that he gave his only son. A little thing has been happening in my um, household just recently uh, with my son, Nick. Um, today's his birthday. Happy birthday, Nick. He's 12. That's crazy. He's glad we're throwing a big party today. He's 12, the birthday party, but it's pretty cool. Um, it has come to be the case lately that there are times when Nick and I are in the car together And we exit the interstate and we come to the stoplight and there's the 40-year-old dude standing on the corner with his sign. And recently, my son has said to me, Dad, are we going to help him? Now, he's seen that happen sometimes. I'm not pretending like we always get that right, but he's seen it some. And so what has started to happen in my vehicle is then I will give him the money and then he engages the person. He looks at them and he says what needs to be said. 
I got to tell you, that blesses a daddy's heart. But I also got to tell you, that blesses his heavenly daddy's heart. I think that's what it looks like. Now, here's what's funny. Whose money is Nick giving the dude? Mine. You picking up on that? Hey, dad, are we going to help him? And then I hand him the money, and then Nick hands the money. You, you get what's going on here? Isn't that funny? It's not funny. I want to remind you that's exactly what it looks like for you and I because it ain't my money, and it's not yours either. And you go, well, right, 10% of it's God's. No. No, I'm reminding you he sits on the throne of it all. How fun is that to give away God's money, right? How fun is that to use the resources that he has empowered us? I get it. You might be working the job, but who gave you the ability to work the job? Who gives you the resources to manage the things? It's God who is at the heart of all of that. How fun is it to be able to, to be a part of that picture? Jeff, are you saying that if I'm not giving, then I don't have the Holy Spirit? I don't think I said that. But I am going to say that when the Holy Spirit indwells a person, they will give. And they will grow in that generosity because it looks like the one who has indwelled them. Now maybe in our day, um, maybe the greater struggle than money might be sharing our life though, sharing our time, right? Which has become an even greater issue in our current culture. I'm gonna remind you who Jesus is. He is God with us. The circumstances of our current world seems to have resulted in more and more and more isolation. Are you seeing that? People turning uh, into hermits, um, I'm calling them hybrid hermits, all right? Because it's not so much that people are just sort of by themselves, but sometimes it's, maybe it's just me and my family and it's just less connected to the rest of the world. Maybe we come out and we make our money and then we go back in our caves. I'm saying some of that is just the habits that, that have been employed over the last right year or so with with the, the change and how sometimes we've had to operate. And, but I'm reminding you today that we cannot live out the mission of Jesus being hermits for the rest of our lives. We can't do that. I am not saying be foolish. You've heard me say that all the way through this journey. I'm not talking about being foolish. I'm not talking about being, you got to be wise in certain seasons. I'm reminding you coming out of much of what we've come out of that there is a design by God for us to be together. Partly is for you, partly is for you to impact the people that you are with. Everything that you have, including another breath, is for the purpose of leveraging your life, sharing your life, to do what? It's the other word. You share so that you can testify. 
You are generous with your life so that, so that when people start to brag on you a little bit, which that's going to happen if you're kind to people, if you're generous to people, you're swimming upstream according to culture, they're going to go, whoa, what is that? That's when you get the chance to go, Jesus, that's what it is. It's Jesus in my life. Whatever is right in my life, it is from him. And even the bad stuff, it, it, he hasn't give up on me. And so, you want to talk about marriage, then let's talk about marriage. Man, there have been some years that we've struggled, right? You would say, there, there have been some years that I've been selfish. But this is how Jesus has worked in my life. And so we keep going, and we keep leaning into Jesus, and we keep leaning into each other, right? You, you want to talk about sickness? then we got to talk about Jesus because sometimes the message is Jesus has healed me. And then there are other times the message is Jesus is with me and I am not afraid because I know where I'm going. You want to talk about children, then we need to talk about Jesus. Man, without him, how in the world and am I ever going to figure out how to direct these little ones that I love so much how am I ever going to have the patience that's required to, to, to love them like God loves them? Which means I've also learned, I've also learned to love them in a way that they don't think they're God. Because to love my children is not to let them set the schedule for our lives. It is for God to set the schedule for our lives. They don't set the mission for our lives. It is for God to set the mission for our lives. You want to talk finances, and then we need to talk about the generosity of Jesus. We testify to him. I used to think life was about getting until I met him. We are storytellers with one that we are called to praise. And here is the result. Last text. Check it out, verse 33. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Their unselfishness grew. Their generosity grew. Man, I am grateful to be able to celebrate that kind of stuff around here, but my prayer is, God, will you continue to grow us to look like your heart? There have been days that I have seen people give vehicles. I have seen people give boats, right, to auction off a, a boat to help our kids get to camp or to be on a mission trip. In fact, we, we started this with a little video about Togo. And as I was studying this text, I was reminded that all those years ago, it all started with a field of beans that was planted and then given to fund the initial effort in Togo. And here we are some 12, 15 years later, and that's multiplying. It's multiplying. It's because it's eternal. It's eternal. 
Maybe some of you are going to be the ones who take a similar step for a school in that same territory that allows hundreds and hundreds of kids to hear about a Jesus who loves them. We can be a people who by the power of the Holy Spirit are countercultural because we are sharing our lives for the opportunity to testify about Jesus. My question today, where do you need boldness? What relationships, right, need to be developed for you? Because the, the framework can be different. Framework can be different. I'm saying, is it, is it somebody within your family? That situation, you need boldness. Is it, is, it, is it situations within your work, relationships that you built there that you need some boldness? Maybe it's even friendships. Isn't it funny how the people that we claim to be closest to, sometimes it seems to be the greatest barriers. Where do you need boldness? Over the years, many of you have been in church and you have learned plans of how to do that. Many plans of how to share your faith. Plans of how to, how to speak to people. Three weeks ago, you got another one that I thought was fantastic. Peter just dropped four little words on you of how to go about, right, connecting in those relationships. It was identify four people, right, intercede, pray for them four times a week, invest in them four times a month, which means make some connections, build the relationship, maybe serve them, just spend some time together, and then invite. He gave you four words, four words. So how's that going? I'm saying it represents one example of the plans and plans and plans that we have learned. Maybe, maybe where some of us need to start Is here with Lord will you enable your servant to speak your word with boldness what did the church do they asked and I'm saying for this season man while we're why, why don't we ask? <laughs> why don't we ask? Let, let's ask. Like, let's ask God to give us boldness. Wisdom to know what that looked like. Courage to know how to walk it out. God, will you give us boldness? I don't know how each of those people are going to respond in your life. Like, I don't know how that family member is going to respond. I don't know how the coworker is going to respond. Some of them are going to receive they're going to rejoice. You're going to, you're going to have a connection for all of eternity. Some of them may reject. Listen, that's not up to you. You are empowered to share. But one thing I do know, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, as you are growing in this boldness to share, there's one thing I know. There is coming a day. When for real Jesus followers, man, it's not going to feel foolish. It's not going to feel foolish. There's coming a day where we're going to go, oh man, I wish I'd have been more bold. Man, I wish I'd have told them quicker. 
I, I wish I would have, I wish I would have been bolder. So let's ask. Let's ask, believing in a God who is able to do something so extraordinary in your life that the only way to explain it is him. So I'm going to pray for us here in just a second, but really I'm encouraging you to pray. Wherever you are, I'm encouraging you to pray. That's our response today. God, will you give us boldness? Right? Like it's when people see you, are they saying, man, that guy, he obviously has the presence of God's spirit in his life. Or that girl, she obviously has the presence of God's spirit. Because look at their boldness. I'm saying, let's ask him. So I don't want to just, I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to keep on praying for you. But I want you to spend some time before we're done today praying. In just a minute, band's going to sing a song for us to give us some moments to be able to hang out and you can just stay seated at the beginning if you want to. If you want to sing, you sing. You want to pray, you pray. You want to be on your knees, you can be on your knees. You want to sit in your seat and pray, you sit in your seat. I'm saying there is a freedom in it, but come on. We got a God who wants to give us boldness. Let's ask him. Let's ask him. So I'll pray. They're going to lead us into that time, but you spend it with him. God, would you enable your servants to speak your word with boldness? God, I pray for your kids today who, God, there there are many, I believe, there are many, that there are relationships that we have, relationships that you have provided, work, school, teams, neighborhoods, God, relationships that exist that you right now, God, as we read your word, you are calling us to attention. And you are calling us to see the most important thing that we could ever be a part of. God, when it's all said and done, we're going to know that this is not foolish. When it's all said and done, we're, we're going to know that we wish we had leveraged our lives for this purpose. God, I'm asking today that you would do what I can't do. You would do what nobody else in this room can do, that you would capture our hearts. God, that you would help us to see we want you seated on that throne. God, we trust you more than we trust ourselves. We need you. So God, I thank you for the greatest story in the whole world. I thank you for miracles that you continue to do around us. God, this is truly too good not to believe. But may we truly believe that our lives reflect that we believe that your great name will be known in all the earth. It's in the name of Jesus I ask it.